Welcome to Sports, Clips, and Politics with your hosts, Ben Husso and me, Sean Hannon. Welcome to episode 36 of Sports, Clicks, and Politics. I affectionately refer to it as Skep on the down low. Trying to make that a thing. On the down low? No, it's not not on the down low anymore. Mr. Hughesong, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. How was your uh, Tom Brady weekend? Tom Brady weekend went well. Uh, It was a good time. How about you? Uh, It went well. Uh, I think uh, Tom Brady put a stamp on his weekend with another victory here. I think we're going to talk about that in depth. Uh, do any uh, Super Bowl festivities or just watch the game at all? I mean, allegedly, I may have gone to a small Super Bowl gathering. Okay. In defiance of the recommendations from the CDC and New York State DOH. But if there was ever two entities that have deserved and earned my full faith, confidence, and trust, it is the CDC and the New York State Department of Health because they have been so clear, so unambiguous, and so correct in all of their recommendations thus far. You should have invited uh, Howard Zucker to the party. I should have. I don't think he would have come, but no, we'll see. Um, so let's talk about Super Bowl. You watch the game, yeah? Of course. Um I don't know that it went as anyone expected, I guess. Certainly um, But I don't think, I mean, we both mentioned that we thought Tampa Bay had a chance to win, so it wasn't like I was surprised that they won. I was, I guess, more surprised than how poorly the Chiefs offense played. I don't know how much the injury of Mahomes played a role. I'm sure it did, but he didn't look uh, as uh, fresh as he normally would. His arm is still ridiculous. Um But I don't know. What what were your overall takes from the game just uh, in a general sense? So I think that the bigger problem for the Chiefs was the loss of Eric Fisher in the AFC Championship game, their all-pro left tackle, who was uh, that that offensive line. Here's the thing. I I actually thought it was a better um, accomplishment by Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator for the Buccaneers, for having an absolutely remarkable game plan to beat this team. They didn't blitz a lot. They weren't getting, and, and the thing is, they weren't even getting to Mahomes quickly. What they were doing was they were double teaming Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and saying, all right, let's see if McCole Hardman can beat somebody one-on-one because we don't think he can. And when they did that, by double teaming those top two options on every single play, it was only a matter of time before the Buccaneers' very talented defensive line was going to get into the backfield. Yeah. So I think that was actually the strategy, and it worked beautifully. Now, having Eric Fisher going obviously shortened that amount of time it would take for the defensive line to get in the backfield. But I, I think it was a great game plan. It was sort of a, if you're going to beat us with Mahomes, you're going to do it without these two stars. Or they're going to have minimal right. yeah, Listen, Travis Kelsey said like 10 catches for yeah, 100 right. yards. I mean, it's not like they took him away. Yeah, I know. I think exactly what you said is right, though. So they, they purposely, you know, were, I don't know if you remember, what what did uh, what did Hill have against them the first time? Oh, my something, God. Something like, some, he had, I remember having him on my fantasy week, but it was ridiculous. He had something 200 like. 200 yards or something. Yeah, yeah. In the first or, half, yeah, it was right. insane. It was crazy. It was crazy. So anyway, they clearly, they changed their game plan. Um, and said, okay, well, we're not going to let that happen again. And they did exactly what you said. You know, they took away their two prime options. Um, and again, I do think that Mahomes, because he was affected by that toe, he was unable to give himself just a couple extra seconds um, or even a second or so uh, to avoid what you were saying, to let he'll break free. Um, 
but it never happened. Not the whole game. I had three field goals, right? So yeah, no um, touchdowns. Yeah. Um, it, it started out kind of uh, uh, very slow and sluggish, but uh, I think that's exactly how Tampa Bay would have scripted it if they wanted it. And uh, they, that allowed them, keeping it kind of low scoring, allowed them to stay with the running game, kind of wind that clock. And again, they, they, they did exactly what you said. They kept getting pressure on, on Mahomes because <laughs> nobody was open. Right. Um, and they just said our front four is good enough that if you give them five seconds, they're going to get into your backfield. Yeah, and they are good. They are very good. And that was that was it. It was... By taking away the top two options, it's now you're going to your third, fourth, fifth read, and each read takes a half a second to a second. So every time that clock ticks, now you're getting in. So I, I thought it was a brilliant game plan, and Todd Bowles deserves a ton of credit for what he did. And also the offense, uh, Byron Leftwich had a great game. I never know how much credit to give the offensive coordinator for Tom Brady. Right. Like, well, like even, listen, even Leftwich doesn't take any credit. Remember he said, he was like, well, I'm only going here because Tom Brady's here. I don't have to do anything. Right. Basically, I'm just <laughs> was holding his playbook. Right. It's like, <laughs> so uh, everybody else knows what's going on. I'm just it, like a communicator. Do what Tom says, guys. Yeah. Do what Tom says. So, But it was the same thing. They had a very balanced attack. It was a lot of run the ball, run the ball, play action, run the ball, Quick pass, screen. I mean, it, they did a great job of keeping the Chiefs. The Chiefs have a very good defense. They just kept them so off balance the yeah. entire game. They couldn't clue in. Yeah. So I'm hoping that Brian Dabble was paying attention in that game and that maybe the, our local Buffalo Bills could incorporate an occasional run before the fourth quarter next season. Not that I'm bitter. Yeah, I mean, listen, so do, I'm not going to get into the Bills too much here. Mm-mm. I don't want to. Actually. Sorry, I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> um. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, takeaways other than this, like Gronk, my boy Gronk had two touchdowns, right? Amazing. Yeah. I um, mean, everybody I was watching this game with when he caught the first touchdown just burst out laughing. No yeah. matter who they were cheering for, they just laughed like son of a gun. Yeah, he's the man. He is literally the man. So um, everybody wants to be Gronk. Uh, two more scores. I, I miss. I don't. I hope he comes back. I, I feel like if there's going to be a guy who walks, it's him. Um, just because he just say, yeah, I came back just to do it, and I did it. Now I'm going to go do whatever the hell I also want to do, right? That's kind of how he does, and he uh, he does Gronk. You realize uh, that Rob Gronkowski is basically the Scotty Pippen to Tom Brady's Michael Jordan. Uh, listen, I, I, I'm fully – I think he's the best tight end of all time. I agree. Um, even with the, the – the you know the injury history late in the career that the production is just ridiculous um and he he that level of you know mismatch um has been at the exposure of Tom Brady his whole career so um they've definitely helped each other because right. I mean there's been no other weapons in in New England other than Gronk oh, listen, so there has been uh, this is one of the I, oh come I on you're gonna give me the, the the season of, of the one season of Moss and Welker? Yes. I'm going to give you the fact that they had Randy Moss, Wes Welker, Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez. Like, none of these guys are slouches. Even, like, Deion Branch wasn't a great receiver, but he's not a bum. And they went 18 and 0. Right. Well, they went 19, 18 and 1. Well, whatever. So. The idea, though, that he had no weapons. I, listen, I think Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. There's not even a debate at this point. If you're, I guess still my point is, it, is if you give Brady the weapons, he goes fucking eighteen and zero. Right. Well, he gave he had the weapons, and even early or on, eighteen and one. Sorry, in the, in the years that they were like quote unquote, oh look at they don't have any of the skills. Like you have Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez, who you know, like personal issues aside. They had two of the they same guy that were unstoppable yeah. to throw to, and this is I don't know how it tracks after this season, but when Rob Gronkowski retired out of New England, he had a uh, yards per attempt of 10.1. That's insane. 
every time you threw the ball to Gronkowski, statistically speaking, you got a first down, whether he caught it or not. Like, just throw him the ball and you were going to get a first down. Yeah, listen, I heard, I've heard safeties, you know, retired and playing were like, he's the biggest mismatch that we've that there is like right. he's too athletic he's too big and he catches everything his hands are great so imagine that guy like, running at you with a full no. speed and you're a set you're like a five foot 11 195 pound safety if even your pure muscle Listen, i like to remember robbie gronkowski like i did when he was eight years old when i knew him so <laughs> not when he's your boy steam, my boy but so, my point on the pippin analogy yeah. is this rob gronkowski is phenomenal in and of his own life. It would have had a great career. Never would have had the success that he's had without playing with the greatest of all time. But Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, also never would have achieved the heights they would they did without having that 1B player. It's not even a number two. It's a 1B. On any other team, that guy is the star. He is the best on the team. It's just because they happen to play with the greatest of all time, and it was amazing to watch. Yeah, and, and I so, hate the Patriots more than any team in all of professional no. sports. Yeah. But it was—I have to acknowledge what they did was amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, obviously, I've always because I've known the Gronkowski family from back before they were known as Gronk Nation. Um, I've always, you know, they they pulled at my heartstrings, so I'm always rooting for them, even though they played on a team that I don't root for. So, um, another person I never really rooted for, but I can't really take away the fact that. Is Tom Brady the best football player of all time? Yeah. Football player, regardless of quarterback, football player, the best football player, yeah? Tom Brady has more Super Bowl rings than any team in the NFL in history. He has more than any team does in history. Yes. He's the greatest there ever was. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, 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 I agree. Um, I've always found it hard to compare eras in the NFL because guys like Jim Brown were so dominant, but the game was just not the same thing that it is now. All right, listen, Jim Brown, not, I'm not taking anything away from the guy. What he did was remarkable, but let's put things in context. Listen, it's a different era. Jim, it's not even that it was a different era. Jim Brown was 6'4", 240 as a black male going up a bunch against a bunch of five foot nine buck 80 white dudes. Like, come on. Of course he was dominant. Look who he was. He was a freak. That's, that's the difference of the era, it right? It was unbelievable. I, what he did was amazing. Right. I so, think a lot of these, a lot of the stars from past days, if you translated, gave them the proper diet, nutrition, everything else, they would translate in and they would still be dominant. Michael Jordan, uh, it, like Roger Stahlbeck, if you want to go back, Joe Montana, all that. Jim Brown's the only one where I go, I'm not sure that translates because I do think some of it was just because he was so much bigger, so much faster. Yeah, there's some, listen, there's some Wilt in there too, right? So Wilt was kind of that way. He was a man amongst boys for right. many years before the league caught up to him. Um, but I don't want to take anything away from Jim for, Brown, but let's just be, let's be honest I, about what it was. I, I only say Brady can – I think the, the NFL has become a quarterback league, um, and because of that, it makes it easier to hand the baton or the the crown to uh, to Tom Brady as the best football player. But I mean, you know, I I watched Jerry Rice. You know, he was unbelievable. Um, I think he made Joe Montana more. You know, they were more of like the one A one B in reverse here. Um, That's fair. Um, so there was there were some great great players, but because the league is so dependent on quarterbacks, and you know, I'm not sure. Maybe you were part of the discussion. A year or so ago, maybe two years ago, who was better, uh, Belichick or Brady? Who was more? Uh, oh, I've been on Team Brady from day one of that. But so, but, but I, I don't know if you remember. We I, there was a point where we were trying to determine who was more 
responsible for the success of the Patriots, right? The coach, Bill Belichick, or Tom Brady, the the player quarterback. Um, I tend to agree with you in a sense that I tend to lead with the players on the field. Um, And I don't know. I saw Belichick be a coach for the Browns, and they you know went to the playoffs. And he was good. They were good. Right. Um, So I'm not trying to dismiss how good – and important Bill Belichick was to the success of the Patriots. But I think if you're going to give an edge, I give the edge to Brady. And I think this Super Bowl kind of nudges people who have been in that camp to kind of give one feather in the cap and be like, okay, well, the Patriots didn't even make the playoffs and Tom Brady won the Super Bowl. I'm not even taking anything away from Bill Belichick as a coach when I say this. They weren't going to make the playoffs this year almost no matter what. Their cap their cap situation is a nightmare. Like, and they, yeah, they had to pay Cam Newton a million dollars to come and throw balls in the ground. They have no money to spend this season. It'll get better next year. So this was kind of the year that they knew was coming based on the decisions they made when they went all in to win the championship in previous years. Nothing wrong with that. But let's just like let's call it what it is. If you had to decide who was going to be more responsible for the ridiculous run that they've had, it's Tom Brady. And I. Here's the analogy, I guess. I'm going to go back to my Michael Jordan analogy because, in my opinion, I, listen, all, no disrespect to LeBron. Let's see what happens when his career's over. But for right now, until that's over, I'm going to continue to call Michael Jordan the greatest of all time in basketball. So, Michael Jordan's the greatest of all time. Who was more responsible for their success, him or Phil Jackson? Oh, Michael Jordan. Right, sure. and that's Phil Jackson is the greatest coach ever, went on and won multiple championships. It's not taking anything away from the coach. Sure. It's that you are playing with uh, Tom Brady is a – once in a lifetime quarterback like this guy just gets it done every single time I can't stand it like I hate admitting this I hate acknowledging this I hate realizing this and I denied it forever I was a big Peyton Manning over Tom Brady guy forever and then one day I got smacked in the face with reality and I was like yeah it's not even close I I just I can't I can't think of another way of saying this of Bill Belichick is a phenomenal coach no question, no arguments, no nothing. As far as without Tom Brady, does Bill Belichick have six Super Bowl rings? My, my answer is no, he doesn't. He, he probably has one or two, which is still remarkable for a coach. But he doesn't have six. Without, Tom, without Bill Belichick, I don't know that Tom Brady turns into Tom Brady. But once he did, then you could have taken Belichick out, and he still would probably have at least four or five Super Bowls. Yeah, and like I said, football, there's a lot of moving parts in any given play in a, in a football game. So, I, But the league has just become geared towards quarterback play. Um, it's the most guy, important guy's position doing, this in guy's doing, sports. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. And this guy's done it better than anybody else. So, so that kind of... He has <clears throat> been in the Super Bowl half of the seasons he's played. This is not basketball where there are five guys on a court and seven total that play. So if you have LeBron, you can kind of expect that. If you have MJ, you can expect that. Steph Curry. This is football. where th- and Not baseball where there's nine guys on a team. And if you've got a superstar, it can make a huge difference. This is legitimately a sport where 33 different people are on the field. 22 predominantly for most of the game. One guy made that big of a difference. Yeah, I don't know if you know off, off the top of your head. and I don't, but... I'm guessing that you know he's been to ten Super Bowls. Who's who's the next guy? Like Robert Horry. <laughs> Robert Horry. He's on the list. Sorry. But I'm trying to think like only because Roethlisberger's been to four, I think, and he's got to be near the top of the second place. If whatever's whoever's playing for second place, he's got to be right near the top of that list. So like, are you talking like, quarterbacks or positions? Yeah, quarterbacks. Oh, okay. just in general, quarterbacks who have, you know, it's got to be him. I Jim know. Kelly played in four. 
But that Troy Medusa. Aikman played in two, maybe three. Montana played in a bunch. Terry Bradshaw, like he's so far beyond. Right. It's, it's amazing. Right. It's. Yeah, I it's, hate it's, admitting this. Yeah. It's and, a gigantic gap. I, he's the best. Like all the all the Joe Montana fans out there, just you know. Let bite it go. The, yeah, bite the pillow and just do it over. So, Let it go. Um, and, and here's the thing. Yeah. Tom Brady, I, if you've watched what he has done and like how much of a commitment he has made to football at the expense of everything else, he absolutely has deserved this because for 20 years, this guy basically for all of football season does nothing else except football. Like, he's not a good husband, he's not a good father for those months, and he's, he, like, the sacrifice that it takes to be truly great at something, you can see it in him of how much, now look, I, I'm not crying any tears for the guy, he's married to a supermodel, he's got a great life, he's got a great family, good for him, but think about how much time you are devoting every single week to, to your craft to become this good. Uh, that being said, I'm sure there are other people who commit, and they just don't have the talent or the, you know... X factor, yeah, whatever it is. Because you know so. he doesn't have that much talent. You and I both are aware, of, like physical. Traits. I mean, listen, he was he was a backup quarterback at in college, right? Like he was he was never this. He's not Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is a physical specimen that even in this game yesterday, you saw it. I've never seen a quarterback able to throw like he is, yeah. where he is diving to the side, gonna land, and he's throwing sidearm, and the ball goes on a rope. 25 yards. He threw it so hard that the guy couldn't get his hands on it. <laughs> like, on a straight rope, hit the guy in the face. Like, that's how accurate and hard he threw this ball while diving, having a guy grabbing his legs, and just his arm flung it. It is amazing. That's Tom amazing. Brady, on his best day in his prime, couldn't have come close to that throw. No, he's fall, he's fallen down five seconds ago. Right. It's and just, he has, he's not fast. Yeah, and listen, his arm, he still zips the ball. Sure, Brady. I mean, it's it's Listen, still impressive at whatever he's an he is. NFL quarterback, 40, sure. they can all throw the ball hard. Like, I know, even but. the guys that we joke about not having a good arm. If you and I went up against him, he would embarrass. Like Blaine Gabbert would embarrass Listen, us. If you put me and Tim Tebow on the field, I would look like the quarterback. I promise you. <laughs> All right, I guess for every rule, there's right. an exception. What, what, what other Super Bowl takeaways do we have? Anything else? We, we think Tom Brady's coming back, yeah? I, Tom Brady will be back. There's no question. Uh, about are that they in my the? Mind. Uh, is that, I mean, is is a rematch the favorite? I mean, it's got to be. It's, I, mean, I didn't look at Vegas this morning to see if they had that. I'm sure they already do have that up, but they got to be one too. I think so. I I don't think there's any question about that. I think that the Chiefs will go and retool some stuff. Andy Reid's a great coach, and he'll go and, and pick up some other pieces to to fix the obvious problem that they have yeah i mean listen i i don't know where you i don't know what their any of their contract situations are but if they beef up their their line and add some pieces on defense i mean they don't need much no you um, need a running back i mean i thought that one of the biggest mistakes they made game planning wise was not running enough like delayed screens and running back dump offs because i think that is what was available and they just didn't have anybody out in the flats waiting for the throw and that's how you beat if a team's going all in on that, every defense gives you something by what it takes away. Yeah, I mean they they drafted Edwards Hilaire last year, so I assuming they're gonna. I can't imagine they draft another running back oh, high this year, not. but anyway, so um, high thirty first overall. But I do think I do think there's a chance that Gronk steps away. Um, so, but they have uh, who's O.J. Howard? He come back. I mean, they're they're Cameron still, Braid's still fantastic. Yeah, they're they're. Yeah. they're the Tampa Bay is still going to be really good. So, and you got um, Tom Brady, which helps in the free agent dealings of if you want to go get somebody and you give them the opportunity to play on this team with Tom yeah. Brady at quarterback. Yeah, now you have a uh, Super Bowl victory to kind of prove your point. So, right. Um, any other uh, Super Bowl takeaways or you Patrick talk? Mahomes is a, like a not human. No, he's freak. He's not human. It's not possible that that man is an actual human being. I cannot get over 
how hard he can throw a ball from the weirdest positions I've ever seen. You know, he's the son of a baseball pitcher. It's inhuman. It's not, it doesn't, it defies like all the physics that he is able to put that much behind a throw like he does. I cannot get over it. And I think they'll, obviously they will be back. They, they have a very good team. Um, I, I don't know, like good for them. And Tom Brady is just, it should be causing him more pain to play football at 43 than it does. It's not fair. I, I am glad that we got through the season without any, uh, COVID hiccups, um, no thanks to that mask hole, Tom Brady. Yeah, what the hell? God. Walking around without a mask on after he just won the Super Bowl. It was actually before the Super Bowl, but sure. And probably both. <laughs> Good for him. Whatever. Um, another person, you mentioned people who you didn't think were human. What about Elon Musk? So, I don't know if you guys heard that Tesla decided to, uh, I don't know, diversify their portfolio, if you will, and add $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin to their holdings. Um, and said that they were going to offer some of their vehicles, if not all of their vehicles, for purchase with Bitcoin. And immediately, Bitcoin's price went from something like 39000 to 44900 in like 40 minutes. I know that you don't do like investing for a living, Yeah, but that's a good day. Yeah. I mean, I just look at the green on the things. Green is good. That's true. Green is good in Bitcoin. Green is good in DraftKings. So I just, I'm always constantly looking for color greens. And there was a lot of green today on Bitcoin. So, yeah, uh, oh yeah, I still have it up. Where are we still up? 40, uh, 42, nine, 42, nine. So it's dipped back quite a bit from the, uh, from the high, but it did hit 44, nine at one point. Um, does this kind of just show the power of Elon Musk? We've, we, t- we touched on a little bit last week, how Elon Musk likes to tweet out, uh, stuff about Dogecoin too. And that thing's like it eight cents it was below a penny like funniest thing a month ago i i don't know this it was 10x i don't know that this hold that he has over people but as soon as he like comments on anything it just goes through the roof it's so i have i have i have more friends than i thought even no i forgot that who who have tesla stock and i always tell him like listen it it is gold until he dies right because as soon as he is not uh, like if whenever happens whenever he leaves this planet uh, whatever he is holding is crashing to the ground. He's he's amazing. I I, I don't know even know. But he's a one man gang. I mean, he's literally like there is no there is no Tesla eight hundred dollar Tesla stock without Elon Musk. Oh God, no, not close. But and it's there's also no there's no Dogecoin. Tesla. There's no Tesla without Elon Musk. That's and, and it wasn't originally his company. Like he took it over from the guys that started it. But the reality is they couldn't have done it without him because. It's his ingenuity. It's his relentless drive for this. And he's another one. Listen, I think he's got five kids or six kids now. But it's the absolute. Can you name them all? Don't even try. I was kidding. No, I can't. Not even close. They got crazy names. But I remember reading a biography on him. And he was quoted in there as he had just gotten divorced. And the the female author of this book, whose name escapes me right now, I apologize. But. She she asked him about it, and he said, you know, I think you can make it work as far as maintaining a good, healthy, romantic relationship along with all the different business interests and, you know, SpaceX, Boring Company, Tesla. He said, I just got to figure out what the ratio of time would be. How much time does a woman want in a relationship? What, like, what's a good number? And she kind of, like, went blank. He's like, no, I, what, what's the number? Is it, like, an hour a day? Is it five hours in a week? Like, what's the number that you need for, like, what's the number that a woman would want? And he's asking this question legitimately. And, of course, you or I are listening to this and going, what are you, 
You serious? You try to do a math problem. Right. You're trying to, and that's how his guy's brain works is, no, we can do it. We just got to figure out what's the time that you need as if some woman, and maybe they will because it's Elon Musk, is going to come in and she, like, contract negotiation, be like, all right, I expect six hours per week, and on our anniversary, an additional one hour on my birthday, I get the whole day. Well, not the whole day, but we'll, we'll negotiate back and forth. And then whenever we have an argument about you're not making me a priority down the road, he's just going to pull the contract out and be like, it's right here. Black and white, you signed. Yeah, I stop ruining our relationship. I, I find him fascinating in general, just because he's got his hand in a bunch of crazy stuff, boring machines and whatnot. So you know, he's dug in a tunnel in California. Yeah, that's yeah, what I mean. Crazy, like, so he just can't stop himself. Every time something comes along and it seems like a good idea, he's like, "Yup." And he's he's been listen. He's been a uh, you know a backer of Bitcoin before yesterday this has kind of long been rumored and he's uh talked about bitcoin in the past so this is not something totally out of left field right. at all um but making the announcement public definitely shot the price up you know and only bitcoin like everything else kind of trailed a little bit behind it but i mean ethereum's up 10 percent today too yeah it's, right i just took a, i mean there, there was this big huge pump and then it kind of just you know petered out and everything kind of caught up behind it but just the uh i don't know i don't know what the uh the, the right word to uh adjective to describe elon musk but he is uh elon musk for sure so um he's like tony stark without the suit yeah i'm not sure if i know who that is he's iron man oh yeah i don't know who that is tony stark is iron man basically elon musk is tony stark he's just not he doesn't have the metal suit yet to go fight crime all right and let's 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 wrap up uh or at least update or whatever from last week's show the gamestop stuff um Came crashing back down. Came back to reality. Um, I don't know that this was unexpected because I think we kind of both thought that the fix was in on that Thursday when they uh, stopped the trading or stopped the, the buying. <laughs> yeah. Um, and only allowed uh, institutional traders to uh, move that. There's been something, I don't know, if, again, not knowing exactly what I'm talking about, but I've, I've read or watched some stuff about, um, I don't know if it's called lateral trading or something where they basically tried to, uh, or the insinuation is that some of these big funds were, uh, trading amongst themselves, uh, dropping the price by, you know, a set amount, uh, back and forth to artificially, uh, low, like gradually lower the price. So it didn't kind of bottom out, but th- doing this while there was no buying was allowed them to kind of get out from under ne- their positions and then basically allow whatever happened after the fact happened. And, uh, the price came crashing back down. They could not hold that price. Um, but still, and do you know what the price is offhand here? 58.84 per share for GameStop. Right. AMC is at 5.99. Okay. So way down from, from where they were. I mean, obviously GameStop was almost 500 at one point. So, 484. um, so, I still think that the phenomena is uh, a, a thing that we'll be keeping an eye on because it was a sensation, really, literally, I, I, you know, bubbled up from nowhere into a, almost like a populist movement. So um, just fun to keep an eye on. I want to give you guys an update on that. So it, it does. Here's my concern overall. Number one, what you were talking about with lateral trading, it absolutely did happen. I, I, I don't I shouldn't say that, but I don't see any way that this was legitimate of how it was done. And it wasn't even that Robinhood came out and did all this. It was that the the company behind Robinhood, the company that actually executes their trades and, and makes the rules for them, jacked up their liquidity requirements. Meaning right. if, you, if you go on a broker and buy a stock, it's the broker's money that gets used and then settled up later from yours. So they have to have enough cash on hand to handle these big swings. Makes sense. And basically, whatever the clearinghouse company was, and I don't remember who it was, came out to Webull, Robinhood, and a few others, 
and jacked their liquidity requirements through the roof and made it effective immediately, thereby forcing Robinhood's hand. Now, I'm not letting Robinhood off the hook overall because if you were going to be legitimate about it, you should have shut down selling too. That's the reality is by only shutting down buying of GameStop, you basically put the fix in on the market, and I they should be sued, so should the clearinghouse, because what actually happened with GameStop and what I found so fascinating, and just as a reminder to everybody that knows that I'm a financial advisor, this is not financial advice. This is just me commenting as somebody who's been watching the situation. What actually happened there was the populist uprising of, of taking it to the hedge funds because they think it's a fixed game and they want to go after them. And then what Wall Street did in response is prove that it's true and prove that you are playing a rigged game or at least reinforce that belief pretty heavily by trading the same. I've heard 3 million and I've heard 8 million. I'm sure it's somewhere in between. By trading the same 3 to 8 million shares back and forth amongst the hedge funds just to cover the short positions and making sure that even though they were short something to the effect of 80 to 100 million shares, they used 3 million to 8 million to cover all of the short sales. Okay. And then they shut down the retail trading and they they tanked the stock back to arguably where it should be. But it's it's how it happened. And so basically what I do think this is going to lead to at some point is the average retail investor is going to stop putting any faith in the stock market whatsoever. And I, I can't really give you a reason why you shouldn't because this is this is hard to to stomach watching this happen in real time and and knowing I shouldn't say knowing, but expecting nobody is going to go to jail. Somebody is going to get a slap on the wrist, and that's going to be it. That, yeah. That's it. They're going to get a, a small fine. Yeah, even though, the, like, the fine will sound large. It'll yeah, be they're going to fine them like a billion dollars. By, but by doing this, they saved $20 billion. Yeah. Like They're going to do it in a way. It's the same thing with J.P. Morgan getting fined a billion dollars for manipulating the future prices of silver and spoofing contracts. Like they stand to make trillions of dollars through this and you find them a billion. Like you're not trying to stop the behavior. The sec exists to stop naked short selling above what exists in this meaning you aren't allowed to sell short more shares than exist. You're not allowed to do that. It's one of the main reasons the sec was formed after the great depression was to stop investment companies from selling without owning more shares of a company that exists. What happened sec? Yeah. One job. What happened? How was this allowed to happen? And the reality is because it's just this good old boys club of handshakes and backroom agreements where all the wealthy people just bail each other out. And it all it did is reinforce that stereotype. And so you look at it from the outside in and go, geez, this is yeah. dirty. Like, so basically, even if I get the bet right, you're going to fix the game and make sure I lose. So I do think a lot of these Wall Street bets guys, these Reddit users, and, and a lot of the retail investors – they're going to look crypto's a thing. They're going to go put their money in that and start going start enjoying that instead of the stock market. I mean, what are you going to tell them not to? Because oh well, it, it, no, it's not rigged. This was all legitimate. All right, well, you got more faith in the system than I do. I'll give you that much. Yeah. No. I don't know how it was legit. Yeah. I like I don't see any path. Yeah, and like I said, I don't know enough about it to, but it's it smells for sure. So, um I don't know. If we'll keep an eye on it, if we find uh, something that's uh, worthwhile, we'll bring it back uh, to you guys' attention. Let's shift a little bit to local politics here, if you will. Um, that sounds fun. I think we have a winner. In you sound the, really the, confident. In the uh, last undecided, now certified 
U.S. congressional race. Uh, hit Claudia, the drum roll. Claudia Tenney is our, uh, has been certified the winner by, I believe, like 109 votes, 110 votes, something like that, out of like 325,000, 350,000. So congratulations for now, I think. Um, I don't think that Brindisi camp or the campaign there or the Democratic uh, committee will give up without a little bit more of a fight. Um, I'm not sure what else they have left to do um, other than some kind of court you know, injunctions and hearings and whatnot. So, so they're um, trying to <clears throat> undercut the will of the people. Uh, sounds like it. Yeah. They're trying to make sure every legal vote is counted. That'll happen. So I think we finally have, for those of us here uh, in large parts of central New York representation at the federal level. So congratulations to all you uh, people who live in New York 22. Um, I don't really have any, uh, uh, great takes or takeaways from the wind itself other than um, the red wave. The red wave continues. I, I, just, I mean, minus the president. That uh, part. Yeah. Yeah, that's not. But here, weird. this is another example of where, uh, you know, I don't think anybody thought, I think Brandisi was a, a few point favorite. He was. There, and uh, here it's, we are. It's more, it lends more credence to the questions surrounding the potential for fraud in the election of everywhere in the country with the exception of like the five spaces that needed to go blue seem to go surprisingly red Every, well, everywhere else like i'm not telling you there was fraud please don't misunderstand what i'm saying i'm not i'm not accusing anybody of anything actually that's not true both sides cheat welcome to the real world i'm sorry if that's earth shattering for you but they both cheat all the time so yeah. regularly it's amazing but if you're looking around the country of all the house seats that went red, like they thought Lindsey Graham's seat was in play and he and whoever the incumbent, whoever the challenger was got just shellacked. Like all of these things that they were saying, like, oh my God, it could happen. It didn't come to fruition like anywhere. So except in like the, you know, the, the five or six districts that would be required for uh, a presidential win. So I, I don't know. I don't care anymore. Well, is that bad? No, but I sent you the article about time, so I feel like this is a good time to talk about that. Oh, God. Um, for full disclosure, I still have not read the entire article. I read the first, I don't know. I read it. I know. I'm just, you're a better person than I. I read a lot of it. It's just, it's a long article, um, but it's a time article. The title is The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election. Um, this was getting shared quite a bit on my uh, timeline, and I kind of wanted to share it with you guys. So if you haven't read this, um, let me see if I can, maybe I can, yeah, I'll share the link here in the chat because I'm cool like that. Um, and I want to kind of read one section of this that uh, I think might be, uh, there you go, I put the link in chat there, guys, um, that I kind of wanted to read. It's one paragraph here. Um, if I can find it. Well, what, what were your takeaways from the article? And then I'll, and I'll read uh, my section here when I get to it. I think this, this article is just so remarkable for its duplicity. It's the idea of accusing the other side of all of these evil means and wrong and, and crimes. And then when your side does it, it's heroic and beautiful and, and justified and required. And it's just so laughable of I've look, I accuse both sides of the same thing, and it's true, and everybody just follows along. And I've got some pieces from the article that I'll, that I'll point out just 
how laughable this all is of like, guys, I'm not kidding you. Like fraud every time. Yes, it happens. No question about it. Both sides would do whatever it takes to get their desired outcome. I, I don't know what to tell you, but politicians play a very dirty game and this is par for the course. But now the reporters that are supposed to be reporting on it, every side has like all reporters have chosen a side and the coverage gets laughable as a result of like, the mental gymnastics you have to play to condone one side and uh, like call out the other is is hilarious, and it's only going to get worse. But go ahead and read your yeah. Part let, first. let me read this. So uh, this is I don't know four or five paragraphs down, maybe five a little bit longer. So um, <clears throat> and this is you know the the uh, the journalist or the author of the article is kind of laying out the uh, um, the general sense of this before. And this is kind of the last paragraph of that setup. She goes, that's why the participants want the secret history of the 2020 election told. So this is a telling, I guess she's the mouthpiece for the uh, participants in this. So that's why the participants want the secret history of the 2020 election told, even though it sounds like a paranoid fever dream, a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies, working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change the rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. They were not rigging the election. They were fortifying it. And they believed the public need to understand the system's fragility in order to ensure the democracy in America endures. So she's just justifying all of the shenanigans that went down to make sure that there was only one side to the election. It's amazing. And just like flat out justified it right there. Like basically just sold it as like, hey, this is we did this for you. You're welcome. (laughs) My God. I mean, we had to do all of these things for you guys to protect, not rig, protect. They're rigging. We're protecting. All right. Let's not pretend like those are the same things. Yeah. At all. And so, so I, like I said, I kind of took me, um, the architect here, I thought this is some notes here, Mike, uh, Podhoser, um, I guess he's the so, uh, president of the AFL-CIO. Go ahead, Mr. Husson. So this is direct. I'm going to quote a few things from the article and then we can comment on it. This was not his usual purview for nearly a quarter century. Podhoser, senior advisor to the president of the AFL-CIO, the nation's largest union federation, has marshaled the latest tactics and data to help its favored candidates win elections. So this time he was using his powers for good. Even though for 25 years, he's basically been rigging elections to get the person they want to win. But this time, it's different. Or the same. Well, I was lucky. Thank God yeah. he just decided to not use these dirty tactics that he's been doing for 25 years. But this election, because the call was too high, the morals were too big, and there was too had much call, at had stake. To call, yeah, had to call in the big guns. Thank God. And they talk about this alliance between like the, the unions and capital and how this was a, a bipartisan thing or a cross-partisan thing or uh, parties or, or, you know, Republicans and, and Democrats alike were, were there to kind of help us save ourselves from um, this idea that our elections were, were uh, not what they appeared to be. Um, I have one more little st- statement all the way at the end here, but if you have something else you wanted to go ahead, go ahead. This all right. Go ahead. You go, if you got yours up, go ahead. Um, it's, it's almost at the end here. So go ahead. All right. So the, one of the things the article accuses Donald Trump of is like trying to play the electoral college, like not, not listening to the will of the people, but just trying to sway specific districts and focus on those to, to undermine the overall. And then in the same article, 
It's talking about this pod group or whatever it is. In August and September, it sent ballot applications to 15 million people in key states. Wait, so it's bad when Donald Trump does it, all right? That's rigging. But when we do it, that's just trying to make sure the election is fortified from his duplicity. Cool. Yeah, that makes total sense as long as you don't think about it at all. Yeah, and this was, uh, my, my quote I'm going to read is kind of in reference to how all these these factions came together and how one couldn't, couldn't survive without the other. But um, here, here's, the, here's the quote I'm going to read. Uh, the truth is neither likely could have succeeded without the other. And this is a quote. It's astounding how close we came, how fragile all this really is, says Timmer, the former Michigan GOP executive director. It's like when Wiley Coyote runs over the cliff. If you don't look down, you don't fall. Our democracy only survives if we believe and we don't look down. <laughs> like he actually said that out loud. That's amazing. So again, just don't look. It's and everything's on fine. Yeah. Just if we don't look, uh, don't look at, don't, no, nothing to see. No, don't look over here. I mean, I don't know. I guess I see why the article was getting a lot of um, traction in, you oh, know, so in my, in my time this. feed, but it was crazy, man. I don't know. All right. So, uh, one of these group members, I don't remember who this was, Basson, vented. No match for what Trump could offer. Of course, he's going to try to offer them something. Head of Space Force, ambassador to wherever. We can't compete with that by offering carrots. We need a stick. So just to be clear, Trump's a bully. He's going to coerce people into their action. So we need a stick to bully them into not being bullied. That makes total sense. Again, just don't look down. Run out yeah. over the cliff, never look down. Yeah. And this is Keep my right. favorite part. Earlier in the article, all right, so they're worried that Trump's going to offer all these positions to these people to try to bribe them. Mark Zuckerberg invited a bunch of people over, nine civil rights leaders, to discuss the um, suppression of misinformation on social media. One of these people was Vanita Gupta. It took pushing, urging, conversations, brainstormings, all of that to get to a place where we ended up with more rigorous rules and enforcement. Guess who was nominated as Associate Attorney General under Joe Biden? Oh, just tell us. It was Ms. Gupta herself. Yeah, so thank God it was only one side playing dirty and offering those promotions and those positions. Otherwise, my it's God, cool. you might think the whole system was corrupt. And the plan, they called for a big day of celebration to celebrate Joe Biden's victory, and therefore they weren't going to sink to Donald Trump's levels. They were going to, a few days after the election, when they knew Joe Biden was going to win, they just had a feeling it was going to work. They saw the numbers, and they planned a day of celebration. The planned day of celebration happened to coincide with the election being called on November 7th. Shocking. Weird. Well. Oh, my God. What are the odds? Uh... In hindsight, pretty good. A hundred percent, as it were. Um, this is so, listen, this is the problem. It's a joke. And they know it's a joke. And I mean, the quote about don't look down because democracy looks, works as long as you don't look at it basically is them admitting and acknowledging we're doing all this dirty stuff, but when we do it, it's good. When the other side does it, it's bad. And please don't misunderstand me. The Republicans would tell you the exact same thing. It's good when we do it because we're protecting you. All right, well, you're both a bunch of cheating, oh, what's the right word, um, bad people. Let's just go with that because otherwise I'm going to curse. And you're doing the same thing, 
And I love the hypocrisy of calling out the other side for it while ignoring it when your own side does it. It's my favorite and, part and, of American And politics. some of this is, like, they're just, there's like, yeah, well, the, you know, even, even the folks on his side who didn't like him, you know, they were in on it too. So, I mean, they, they brought in a bunch of people too that they were like, I don't know. Like I said, I, I, you're right. Like I said, if it was the other way around, they would be dragging in like, hey, this was a unified effort. We all did it for your for your benefit. It's so, hilarious. Yeah. And it's, listen, I, I've been saying this for four years about Donald Trump of what he is getting called out for is not some remarkable new thing that we have never seen. Like, well, he's putting kids in cages. Like, well, he wasn't the first one to do that. I'm sorry, but we, we know that Barack Obama was president when they were built and when they started being used. Okay, fine. Um, What's the other one? Oh, he's bombing Afghanistan. Like, yeah, again, this isn't new. Look at that phone call with the ambassador of Ukraine where he tried to exert personal influence. Like, listen to Joe Biden's speech from eight years ago where he said the same thing. There's enough stuff to bash Trump on. But you don't have to do those or the investments in hydrochloroquine, the $100 investment. That was the funniest allegation ever. Or the mercenaries you know, the Russian mercenaries or whatever, whatever. It's like, this is going on for every president and they just call out the ones where they want, you know. And my thing is, has been for four years of, Hey, look, if that's the new standard, I'm in. Cause I would love to hold every president to the standard. The reason I'm not standing beside you and clamoring for it is because I think you're full of it. And I think that when you get this guy out of office and your preferred party is back in power, you're going to turn a blind eye again. And let's just call it what it is. It's exactly what's happened. I mean, there are so many skeletons in Joe Biden's closet. There are so many things to be concerned about with Joe Biden, so many glaring red flags and warning signs, and we collectively have decided to just look the other way on every single one. And this is where you sit back and kind of go, who could have seen that coming? My God. Yeah. Thank God that we've got this return to decency, and now we're talking about a federal $15 an hour minimum wage, because bars and restaurants haven't already gone through enough over the last 12 months. Let's let's really put them out of business. So so before we go into the next things, can you see this big cut on my forehead? Sure. I did that like 20 minutes before the show. Smart. I was in here, and there was I thought there was ducks out my window, and I hit my head on the window, so I didn't realize I was bleeding until I hit my hand. I was like, oh my God, I'm bleeding. So I was just making sure that it wasn't. <laughs> you were trying to look at ducks? No, they were outside the window. I was like, what the hell's going on? It was a squirrel, actually. It wasn't even ducks. So so you basically squirrels. have like I banged my head on the attention window. span so of a dog is what you're I'm saying. I'm just saying it was making noise. It was bothering me. So, all right. <laughs> Dude, I had tissue on my forehead walking around. Like, you know, I cut myself shaving thing, but it was on my forehead. You probably should stop shaving your yes. forehead. So, all right. Um. Oh, Want to talk nursing homes? I suppose we should. Um, we, we touched on this just briefly last week because there was so much GameStop, uh, Robinhood stuff to talk about. Um, we mentioned that the uh, New York Attorney General, Letitia James, uh, released a uh, her own report, uh, came out with something like 12,000, or she, she guesstimated, I guess, 13,000 uh, nursing home deaths. If you're um, defining it the same way everybody else does. Right. And then the uh, Department of Health actually came out with a number, something like 12,700 uh, shortly after that. We're supposed to get the uh, Empire Center's Freedom of Information uh, request uh, 
they won their lawsuit also last week, and they were supposed to get those results on Wednesday. So do you expect the numbers to kind of be in line with the numbers that we're hearing, this 12,700, 13,000, which was also the number that Tim Naus, uh, Syracuse.com reporter, came out with, about 13,000? Um, are you expecting that higher. number? I think it'll be a little higher, but not not double or anything. I think it'll be a little bit higher. That's I, By like, I mean, do you think like just... Between I, 13 and 14 Okay, would be my guess. Is It's going to be somewhere in there. Because I wonder... Even with this number, if, if we'll ever really get the full story, because, you know, who knows what what they've been doing with this data. Oh, my God. It, like, this is just a lesson in po- political manipulation of and intimidation by Governor Cuomo. Of Like, if you're not upset about this, it's because you're not paying attention. I, like, there's no way to justify what has happened. And just to, like, recap it, and look, some of these dates might be a little hazy. I haven't looked at this data in a few weeks, but... On March 25th, Governor Cuomo signed an executive order stating that you could no nursing home in the state could ban a person from entry or re-entry based on a positive COVID test. So that was that was the executive order. They were worried about hospitals becoming overwhelmed. They were worried that that was gonna that people were just gonna not take their nursing home residents back and keep them in the hospital, and that was gonna cause bigger and bigger problems. So what actually happened was they got sent back to the nursing homes. And, of course, the nursing homes, uh, one of the administrators actually sent an email to the New York State Department of Health saying, we don't have PPE in the nursing homes. This is going to be bad. We, we don't have it. We need it. And they sent him back uh, like a standard PDF indicating how the proper usage of PPE should be worn, like some stock photo thing that they have saved to hand out. So he wrote back again and said, no, I don't have it. We don't have any in the nursing homes. And then this guy represented like four or five different nursing homes in the area. He said, we don't have it. We don't have gloves. We don't have masks. We don't have, we don't keep that on hand in anywhere near the levels that we are going to need moving forward. What are we supposed to do? And Andrew Cuomo, when asked about it, said, it's not our job to make sure the nursing homes have PPE. It's their job, their responsibility. It's on them. At the same, around the same time, Andrew Cuomo pointed out that if the COVID got into nursing homes, it would be like a fire spreading through dry grass. So when he was asked about this a few weeks later and said, hey, what's going on? He didn't, he didn't really say anything back. He said it's not happening. Mm, okay. Why? And he said, like, well, they need to get the PPE. If they can't handle the, the they need to get the PPE, and that's not our job. That's their job. All right, fair enough. So finally, on it was around May 15th, May 10th, somewhere in there, that they rescinded the order to say, okay, yeah, stop. So obviously, a few reporters were actually asking for answers about this to say, wait a minute, you had this order in effect for six weeks, sending these people back into nursing homes. And uh, they, the New York State Department of Health investigated itself. And, you know, oddly enough, they found that they didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, they played that, that order played no role. Right, that that order had no impact whatsoever. Now, I think they blamed, actually, the staff. Like, well, the staff already 100%. had it. They started, they started spreading it themselves. Staff and visitors bared, bore all the blame. And they used, this is what was so wrong about all of this. So, number one, it was the basic, like, just dubious nature of, of trying to hide behind vague terms. And they said, well, the median time that somebody was returning was eight days. That was the median. Okay, so therefore, because you're only contagious, really most contagious, days like four to six, then obviously there's nobody that could have been affected. And so, of course, if you know what the word median means, it doesn't mean every person. It doesn't mean minimum. It doesn't mean like nobody got in before eight days. That was the middle number in the stretch. 
So that means I, by very definition, some people were not in the hospital eight days and went back to the nursing home before that happened. The other thing that I took huge objection to with this Department of Health investigation was they cited New York's superior performance on nursing home deaths compared to other states. They actually pointed it out and said, New York's numbers just aren't that bad. Like, yeah. what? Yeah, and that's the other thing, too, is, you know, Cuomo multiple times in multiple press conferences cited the state ranking um, of nursing home deaths. One time it was 35th. I think one time it was 39th. I don't know, multiple times. And in all reality, I think the, uh, Bill Hammond did the readjustment, and now there's like 13th, right? So, um, and we don't even know if that number is still, like I said, we, we'll, we might get a better number on Wednesday um, after the, uh, the, the information is uh, released from the Department of Health, I think mandated by the, the, the Freedom of Nation request. But it's not what we were sold back in April and May for, for certain. Um, and like I said, I think we kind of joked about it. It's like, okay, well, if, if we did, if we got the nursing homes so right back then, what were we getting wrong everywhere else? Right. So, um, well, we know the answer to that now too, but even to that point, even when this was happening, you and I were discussing it on the show, how we were counting nursing home deaths differently in our state than anywhere else. So you're going to tell me that Dr. Zucker, the head of the New York state department of health was unaware of that fact that he didn't realize we were counting deaths differently, that we were counting deaths only if they died in the nursing home and everywhere else in the country was counting deaths. If they left the nursing home and died in the hospital, But you put that point in as if that was an apples-to-apples comparison in the report to show that New York State was – nothing happened. And then the really – the kicker to all of this was, well, that wasn't even really the rule. I'm sorry, what? That executive order. No, that was only in the event that hospitals became overwhelmed, and hospitals never got overwhelmed, so they never should have done it. And it says right in the law that nursing homes can only take care of people that they can actually take care of. So if they took people without proper PPE, that's on them. Okay, yeah. real quick. Six weeks you were asked about this order. Guess how many times you brought up the fact that that wasn't really the rule? Zero. Zero. So you, that was the, that was your understanding all along, and you never thought to say it one time over the previous two months, and I was expected to just believe this? Come on. This is so disingenuous, it's laughable. And the problem is they know that we are so hyper-partisan right now that if you happen to be a Democrat, you're going to believe it. Not I shouldn't say all, seven out of ten. You're going to be like, yeah, guys, no, it wasn't that bad. No, it was. It was It was worse. Yeah. The cover-up was worse than the crime. The order you could justify because hospital overwhelming was a very legitimate concern. You cannot justify six weeks of it, and you cannot justify the manipulation of data to cover up after the fact. It was wrong. Yeah, and this is the whole thing. Like, you know, I think this is what, when Bill Ham was on our show, I think it was episode 14, um, when he was on our show, and he was basically saying, hey, if we get another surge, we need this information to know which you know, how to, how to react, you know, where, where there was a problem. And I think there was enough awareness, you know, I mean, it wasn't just us talking about this, uh, there, but there was, people were paying attention to this come when it came winter and this, uh, surge and people were, 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 you could see that the nursing home deaths were still a thing. And even here locally, um, the, the executive was reporting nursing home deaths as a total, not, uh, you know, any kind of breakdown, but just saying, hey, we had this many nursing home deaths. So everybody knew it was a thing. And yet we didn't have the actual numbers to actually better, you know, use those numbers to to better implement mitigation efforts. And who knows if that impacted, but it had to. Have. I mean, again, I think most people knew there was a problem in nursing homes anyway. But the fact and they like said just the whole nature of the the underhandness of it, of just, again, counting them differently and then not giving out the information. 
even if the numbers were good of information he, request if right and if the numbers were good and he all knew it like he would be screaming these from the mountaintop being like look how great i was i mean he did it anyway and he, he wrote a he, book <laughs> listen it was a new york times best-selling book and i don't know one person who bought it yeah you know what that tells me that uh you know who bought it some pack some political action committee brought a million copies and Andrew. Oh, what are the financial terms for that book deal? By the way, no, we don't know those. All oh, right, we still don't know those because he didn't disclose them. Oh, weird. Yeah, it's some some people might consider that to be concerning. Of yeah. you don't know what you got. All right, cool. Listen, I'm not clamoring in the streets for it, but if you're going to be upset with one side, be upset with both because this is the dirty game that both sides play, and yeah. to deny it is to allow the party of choice to do whatever they want with no culpability, with no responsibility, with no accountability. Like, this is nuts. And we do know now what happened in New York and why the death toll was so high. It's because we handled it incorrectly. We did. I, like I, and I'm not blaming anybody, but it turns out that putting everybody on a ventilator and jacking it up to the max flow was not the right move. I get why they did it in the moment, but it was wrong, and that cost people their lives. It, it did. There was people that didn't need to die, but it was brand new and we didn't know. That doesn't like make their deaths any more or less meaningful. It just is those same people, if that were to happen now, would not die because our treatments are so much more effective and so much better, especially for the people under the age of 70. Yeah, it, I, I'd like to think that this is going to, you know, impact them politically. Like, I, I, I'd like to see the Democrats just nominate somebody else, right? And just like kind of nip it in the bud before, you know, they just like, hey, you know, this is not our guy anymore. So I just find that completely unlikely. So he's still denying it. He's saying it's a political I, attack from the people I, on the right of, look, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. This was wrong. This was blatant corruption. His attorney general is a Democrat and she released an investigation. So it's still political, I guess. Um, it's just a lie. It, like, it's just such an amazing lie of, I would, listen, I would let it go. If he just came out and said, you know what, we signed that order, I, in hindsight that was wrong, and we should have rescinded it earlier, and that's on me. We made a mistake. We really screwed that up, and I should have I should have been a better job of being on top of the Department of Health, and we didn't do it, and we didn't get the PPE. We, it was a terrible situation, and we were learning as we go. We should have done that faster. Okay. It's a mistake. It happens. I don't think you're intentionally out here trying to kill old people. At least I hope that's not how you're going to yeah, solve the that. Medicaid problem that you're going to come into in a few years. No. All right. Well, speaking of just COVID in general, we've had a uh, quite a precipitous drop of cases um, the last few weeks here. It's because we're doing all these do different mitigation <laughs> techniques that we haven't been doing for the last 12 months. People are months. finally double masking. Uh, three times masking. And finally, we got Donald Trump out. So now everybody's following the rules and doing better. And we got new rules because Joe Biden changed the rules to include nothing. <laughs> it's exactly the same recommendations we've had for the last year. So do we have a suspicion why the cases are dropping? Or do you have a suspicion? I mean, I, mean, I got a, Mr. Dr. Hewson. Doctor. I, <laughs> technically, that's not even inaccurate. God, I mean, kind of. Thank doctor. God we don't call lawyers doctors yes, well. because, my God, they're already. I say they like I'm not one. We're not arrogant enough already. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's never as simple as one thing. I think it's a combination of multiple factors. One is, as with every other sudden acute respiratory syndrome and virus, there is a seasonality factor to it. 
Uh, I think if you look back at SARS-CoV-1, that you saw a similar pattern of when it catches, it spreads very, very quickly, and it burns out very quickly as it goes to different areas. Uh, I think that's to be expected. I, I don't think that's new information. I, we, we should have been able to predict that. I think that a lot of areas are starting to change their PCR tests. I can't prove that right now, but I would venture to guess that there's more rapid tests being done that will result in fewer false positives and more false negatives and that the PCR tests that are still being run will have their cycle threshold reduced and therefore very significantly dropping the number of false positives that you're going to get. I would be curious to look at testing data too because I do think that plays a huge role in it. Of I don't think people are getting tested as often, but again, I don't know that's the case. So I think it's a multitude of factors. Of It's a virus, it spreads, it's airborne, and we've gotten better at treating it, we've gotten better at, at everything else. But some of it is it, it burned through, and it, it's going to continue to happen. It may have another season. like It, it could re, restart this spring as winter comes out. It could happen. Might not. And it could happen in, um, in the fall again when the weather starts to get cold. We, should, we could see another spike. Yeah, I'm looking at the, um, the COVID cases in the U.S. I see uh, January 8th is the, uh, the peak. The peak. 292,044 cases. Um, February 7th reported 88,044 cases. So, I mean, it's a big drop, huge, huge. I mean, 31% the last two weeks, it looks like another, which was on top of another 30 something percent the two weeks before that. I mean, this thing has been just dropping off a cliff here. And for the love of God, none of you tell me that it's because of the vaccines. I swear to God, (laughs) don't, don't, don't do it. It's Um, not the vaccines. I mean, as vaccine needs to speed up across the U.S., key COVID metrics are declining. That's the first sentence of this article, Mr. Hewson. Wall Street Journal, your boys. I'm going to go jump out of a window. Um, On the first. So, I don't want to die. Just I want to get out. So I, I just find it, you know, all those things that you brought up, the testing methods, the seasonality, I find all more or probably the most likely reasons for the seasonality I find is the, the most number one reason. factor. So, yes. Um, this is what we expected a, 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 a rise, a peak and then a fall. So it's almost like exactly what happened last year at around the same time. Yeah. Maybe, oh, we'll, maybe the later. flu will reemerge sometime. Uh, listen, if you've got to trade the, the COVID vaccine, uh, the COVID virus for the flu, like if we had to deal with one of those forever moving forward as objective as I can be, and please don't kill me for this. I think we'd rather have COVID than the flu. Cause it seems like, you. You can only have one of these two viruses, and it, one of them's going to win. And I say that because whereas the flu actually does kill children and younger adults and is, uh, is all of those, COVID is really only more deadly than the flu for people over the age 75. And I, it's not that I am saying they're expendable. I'm saying that it's such a more targeted protection that is, that is offered if you have the risk limited to that. It's so much I don't want to say it's easy, but it's easier to protect and uh, prevent, vaccinate, and everything else, just that population, and have that not tear through everything. Yeah. And and if that's, that's, unless, we, unless we react to it like we did this, like this year. Yeah, but, like this was crazy. I'm sorry. And the reason I say I know it wasn't the vaccine is very simple. Of They have not been able to establish that the vaccine stops you from spreading it. And they, they didn't even measure it the same way. Like if you just had a positive COVID test and no symptoms, you wouldn't count for the vaccine trials anyway because that's not how they determine who has COVID. So if you took the vaccine, had a positive COVID test, in the general population, you would count as having COVID. In the vaccine, in the vaccine trials, you would not. So, like, it's it's so different, and 
I, I can't contemplate this enough of people under the age of 70 getting this vaccine is crazy. I, if, especially if you already had COVID, like there's no reason. Yeah. I shouldn't say there's no reason, but play the odds. Like people who had SARS COVID one still have T cell immunity in their bodies 15 years, 20 years later. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that's true, but it would be a really big surprise if it turned out that your COVID only lasted with your immunities for a few months. Whereas with the vaccine, that's exactly what it looks like is happening. Not definitive yet, but just watch the evidence. And it's, I find it funny when I talk to somebody who's gotten the vaccine or is getting it and they ask me about it, like, oh, so are you going to get it? And my answer is just no. The look of like, oh, my God. Heathen. Selfish. Must be a Trumper. Like, all of these things. You're like, no, I just, I've read the literature. I've read the data, and I don't think it makes any sense for me to get it. I just, I don't, I don't see the upside to justify the risk. All right. Mr. Husung. Uh, we have an interview in 10 minutes, so... Uh, we got to jump off. Yeah, do you have anything you'd like to leave uh, the folks with uh, before we head out? Any Tom Brady love? Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. The GOAT. It's not close. I'm in agreement. And, uh, yeah, thank God we're doing all these new things to drive these cases down. Yeah. Thank God it's just, it all, it wasn't seasonality. It was because we started wearing two and three masks, those science-savvy senators. They knew right when to release the double mask. Leading the way. All right. All right. Like I said, we got an interview next week, so uh, be sure to like, share, and subscribe the, uh, uh, you know, the channel here. We've uh, moved our live stream over to uh, YouTube, um, and uh, next week we will have a, uh, uh, an interview, a guest interview with Dr. Mindy Pels, and she does. Uh, she's a health expert, and we're going to discuss intermittent fasting and how that can help uh, play a role with COVID. So uh, that's the interview. We're going to do that right now, but that'll be on next week's show. And until then, we'll see you all then.